Hi, I'm Jo Sheeran, and I'm delighted to welcome you to our Dealmaker series, The Deals That Made Me, featuring Craft Brewery for Pure. This podcast is highlighting some of our most interesting deals by talking to the entrepreneurs and the dealmakers behind them. And today's podcast is no exception. Today, I'm joined by Dan Lowe, the original founder of For Pure, who happens to be overseas at the moment, so you may have to bear with this from a Sam perspective. As well, we're joined by Rob Baxter, our global head of consumer in corporate finance. Welcome, guys. Hi, Joe. Hi. Hi, Joe. Hi, Rob. Hi. So, um, Dan, Four Pure was sold in 2018 to Lion, a food and drinks company in Australia. But you're a bit of a serial entrepreneur, aren't you? Um, I'm told you've been awarded numerous accolades, including Entrepreneur of the Year by Barclays Bank, featured in the Times, How I Made It, and also received a US green card as an alien of extraordinary ability. What a title that is. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think uh, you, you know, you're absolutely right. Um, For Pure wasn't the first uh, business that I'd started. If I sort of rewind uh, back to 1996, I um, established um, UK Solutions, which is a technology company, um, very early days of, uh, of sort of cloud and data center type hosting. Um, to that uh, with with just myself, and then over over a ten sort of a ten year uh, uh, time period, um, built it up into something which was um, yeah, it was something to really be proud of. But um, when we got to about two thousand and eleven, the sector was busy, um, required a lot of capital to continue to grow in the space that we were doing, um, and uh, that was a, a a point for me to. Um, uh, to look for external investment and to go forward. So that was that was the first time I I sort of exited a business, um, and then from there, that UK Solutions was sold to a private equity company that formed um, Six Degrees. Uh, so Six Degrees Group, based in London, uh, ended up uh, on a journey of several years where we um, we we bought and built um, a larger business, did thirty plus acquisitions over a eighteen month period. I stayed on board as a managing director and had an investor board. Um, and yeah, all the way through to 2013 when um, I sort of finished up my time there and, and sold my stake in, in, in that. And then it was on to um, Forpure, which is, which is formed later in 2013. And that, I guess, brings us up to uh, up to date. Yeah. And so, you know, you decided to leave UK Solutions um, six degrees at that point. And why? Why for Pure? You know, how did, how was that born as as a company? Yeah, so so um, uh, the Six Degrees Group uh, project um, was going through, or we began to go through a secondary um, private equity exit. So the PE company that had originally bought UK Solutions um, was ready to start to exit its investment and and look for a, a larger PE company to take it forward. And, you know, that was the natural time for management team to change and for me to move on. So I then uh, took a very short breath and looked for uh, something that would, um, uh, an area that was both interesting to me, but also had some of the characteristics of this high growth technology period. So the ability to disrupt um, an existing market or, or to create something new, uh, the opportunity for explosive growth and, um, you know, craft beer be began to tick that box, especially 
as I looked towards what was going on in the US, West Coast of the US, California, uh, how craft beer was uh, gaining a march on an established beer sector. And um, yeah, at the time, there were just a handful of breweries in London when I began to think about it. By the time I established Four Pure in 2013 with my brother, Tom, um, there were already 53 operating breweries in London. And, and, and at this point, we're over 200 in, in London itself. So, you know, it was wow. it was definitely on the on the on the build at that time. Right. And Rob, from your perspective, you know, in like around the 2015 time, what, what was happening in the craft brewery sector? Well, I think, as as Dan said, you know, he took his inspiration from the U.S. Similarly, we were we were watching the U.S. with interest. You know, this craft beer kind of revolution started, um, it, you know, really in the U.S., although we've been brewing and drinking beer for a long time in the U.K., you know, this modern craft phenomenon started in the U.S. It was a, a bit of a, you know, I use the word revolution. It was kind of a um, a sort of revolution against big beer in many respects. And we saw the market, you know, the number of breweries pro proliferating, but also the demand for consumers in the US proliferating. And, and we were watching that with interest. A lot of consumer trends do tend to come from the US. And in this case, um, you know, that, that also was true. Um, and the UK, you know, there were very early signs that it was starting to pick up. And um, you know, Dan was Dan and Forpure were absolutely at the sort of uh, leading edge of those breweries um, who were taking inspiration from the US, setting up in the UK, and and uh, you know it, it you know to this day. I mean, uh, we're in a period of time where it's you know it's never been a better time to be a beer drinker. Really, in the UK, you've got a you've got a lovely. A range of beers um, and it's you know it's it's not you know bland bland beer from large brewers it's you know really hoppy challenging stuff through to sort of everyday lagers so it's a you know it's a, it was a fascinating fascinating time in the market of 2015 it's it feels like um, it was always meant to happen and you know you could you could claim with hindsight that what happened was obvious that craft beer was always going to be a success but I think you know, people like Dan with that vision to watch what was happening in the US and bring it to the UK, you know, um, that's where sort of Dan's entrepreneurial skill comes in is spotting these things early, predicting forward what's likely to happen, uh, and then executing, you know, very clearly against their plan. So Dan, just just at that time, how did you decide the timing was right to take for a period of market? Yeah, good question. I think um, uh, it, it's very difficult to to sort of um, uh, nail down a precise time in your business plan when you uh, when you're going to say right, this is the, this is the point. Um, but I think a key philosophy for me is was to is to look for a period to go to market for external investment or 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 acquisition or whatever it happens to be at a point where you're still sort of. On the uphill stretch of the roller coaster, not when you feel that you're at the, at the top or, or on the way down. And I think that that um, that part of having a, uh, a a runway ahead for your business and for your sales is very important in the process um, because as you're talking to potential um, partners for the future, you. Uh, 
and that period is, you know, maybe it's a six, 12, 18 month period that you're talking to people. You need to constantly reaffirm everything that you've told about the business by continuing to deliver results, um, growth, organic growth, uh, in a performance in the market, which you've, which you're, you're, you're sort of, um, referring to in your historical data as well. So, you know, I think that that's a key part is, is you still, you're still on the way up. Uh, you're still growing. There's plenty of runway ahead of you. That, that's a point. Um, I think if you wait until you're at the top of that point, as I sort of alluded at the start, then you know you're you're starting to lose value from your proposition because the news flow starts to go negative rather than positive. And just to jump in there, Joe, I mean this, in my experience, is one of the hardest decisions for founders and and, and owners of businesses is actually being clear on what that timing is you know when is the right time to um to sell the business to monetize what you've done because you believe as you know using dan's analogy you're you're not at the top of the roller coaster you're just before the peak and and the temptation is either always to squeeze that juice out of the lemon all the way if you like until there's nothing left for the for the next people or you know slightly have the feeling that you've you've cashed in too early and i you know, I don't, I don't claim to have the answer as to what the, you know, when is the right time. And I think it's different for every sector, for every business. But, you know, as Dan said, it's better in a way to have sold a little bit too early than it is to have left it too late because the, it's not a balanced equation. If you like selling too late is, is pretty catastrophic. Selling too early is not catastrophic it, it it just means there's you know there's more in the tank for the for the next person for the next investor so you've done a couple of deals now dan and obviously timing is key to success but what are the couple of challenges that you've faced along the way so certainly a challenge that you you um or i've certainly come across in both of the the the, the transactions that i've done uh, from where I've pivoted from an owner-operated business uh, into a uh, an investment sale sort of cycle is to take the team who are working with you and for you along that journey. Now, um, I think that uh, people can get very you know they're they're used to working for you as an individual and following your mission and whereas that starts to adapt and you start to introduce the concept of uh of, of new ownership that can make your make your team team be concerned it can take their eye off the ball so the focus that they have which you need them to have on delivering the day-to-day uh activity of the business and the organic growth which is underpinning the position which you're selling um if they get distracted or worried <clears throat> concerned for their uh, their own futures and their own careers that provide a huge distraction to the business. So I think there's a there's a balancing act of communicating what you're doing, but in such a way where you continue to give them the confidence um, around your leadership and making the right decisions for for the business and and for them. Um, so that they, they need to share your vision and believe in your vision. Um, even though you're pivoting perhaps what you may have told them in the past and you know craft beer is a particularly emotive independent craft particularly emotive um there's 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 badges and accolades that you 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 can put on your beer uh say that you're proudly independent and you, you do push that story but i think if you um, if you've got a, an expectation in your business plan for a future exit, then you also need to be careful about the extent of the, that kind of language you build into your positioning of your um, 
of your overall product and your overall brand because the messaging that you give it really is the same internally as it is externally so you know those sort of organizing ideas which you have and you share with your team um are just as relevant to them as they are to your external customer. So again, setting the foundations of the business so that as you start to um, move towards an exit and a sale, you're not wholesale changing the values or people don't think you're changing the values which underpin you and the business and everything they've trusted. And what were the what was the vision of Four Pure? So we were um, we were venture and we we from the early days of capturing what was happening in the US and around the world in in modern beer culture and bringing that back to London and then latterly um, during the execution of the business uh, getting as many of our team out and around the world and traveling um, as much as possible uh, to be able to gather their own inspiration and bring that back uh, to Bermondsey where we're based was was key it's funny to reflect back on that given the time when we're recording this in the middle of uh, uh, a pandemic where we can't travel, I, I suppose, to have the brewery based upon travel and, and adventure. Yeah, exactly. It sounds like the dream job, though, back then. Definitely, definitely. And I also, you know, we haven't talked about this yet, yet but your brother was involved closely in the business. He's one of the founders as well, isn't he? Is it, has that been a challenge at all? Yeah, so Tom was um, co-founded the brewery with me. Um, we have worked together in UK Solutions, so we worked together for uh, for many years. He, he had his he had his own own career. He did um, uh, spent time offshore and uh, doing geo um, geo positioning for uh, for oil rigs and gas pipelines and all that type of exciting stuff. And then he he came and uh, um, helped me with. Uh, compliance and sort of government type work within the technology business and then after we exited that he spent some time traveling the world and we came back um uh and in 2013 that's where we started um that's where we started for pure and i hear you know kind of the rest the success factor when you have partners working together is that they have you know defined roles is that is that kind of what your brother and you yeah, that's absolutely right. So in those early days of um, in those early days with UK Solutions, we understood where, where our individual strengths and weakness uh, and where our skills contribute to to um, to success. And then when we started with Four Pure, we you know really had clearly defined roles so that we and 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 the, the absolute trust that we could execute those roles comfortably and. Um, to the success that we were aiming for. So, yeah, I mean, it's not without its challenges and difficulties along the way. You certainly have um, uh, have disagreements, but, um, you know, family are, are, are perhaps the easiest and in some ways the most difficult people to work with. But but ultimately, uh, if your interests are aligned and objectives are aligned, then, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's very, very rewarding. Have you got some reflections, Rob, on this? I mean, I think from from my side, we just it, it just wasn't a factor working with Dan and Tom. You know, that just the the you know the perception is that it potentially can cause a lot of tensions, and that wasn't in any way apparent to us as external advisors. The delineation between the roles of Dan and Tom was pretty clear. I think you know the deal itself was pretty smooth as far as they go. Um, I, I think maybe I remember some of the bumps 
in the road more than Dan does. You know, a little bit of the sort of natural entrepreneurial optimism is maybe, but but you know, maybe I'm just a, a sort of a pessimist at heart, perhaps. But but the you know there were bumps in the road, and you know I think um, the way Dan had set up the business, the fact that this wasn't you know Dan's uh, the way Dan and Tom had set up the business, this the fact that this wasn't. Um, you know, Dan's first transaction meant that as we went along, we were able to have a very open dialogue through the transaction. We were able to make quick decisions. Um, you know, we were able to course correct as we went if things were going awry through the transaction. And that speed of decision making, um, the delineation of the roles between Dan, Tom and other members of the team was was just very clear. And, you know, that really uh, made for a smoother, smoother transaction. And from what you said, Rob, I know you talked about this deal quite a bit. It was, you know, a really an incredible deal at the time. I guess just reflecting back for both of you, you know, what lessons are learned on reflection? Um, I don't know, Dan, if you want to go, I mean, from, from maybe a couple from me, um, you know, it, it, it was a, a successful transaction, a, a very successful transaction. And at the time, you know, we, it attracted quite a bit of interest. Um, it was a, a platform deal for, for Lion, um, who, who were backed by Kirin. Um, it was their first deal into the UK. They wanted uh, a really good, strong business from which to to build, and um, you know, Forpure was was exactly that—a very good, strong business. It had built a great deal of infrastructure, good on-trade distribution that had been built up very methodically by the team. You know, Dan had hired and developed a really good team of people um, that they. Um, you know, that Lion through the process met and, and got to know and, and really trust um, in that sort of quality. And some of the backgrounds of some of the, the management team was just incredibly strong and very compelling. So it had a lot of the features that, that Lion were interested in. Um, and, and, and ultimately that, you know, made for a, a successful transaction. Um, you know, it is at the time, again, you know, on reflection, the there was still a lot further to go in the craft beer space. And, you know, as Dan said earlier, it wasn't the top of the roller coaster. Um, so, it, you know, from, from the, our ability as a M&A advisor to talk about the future of Forpure and the future of that market, it, it was all, you know, very credible. Um, the growth was, um, you know, pr pretty much sort of, uh, clear to all of the trade parties, including Lion, that um, that there was going to be further growth, and that growth was going to continue to be explosive for a while longer. Yeah, from from I, I mean, you learn so many lessons, uh, you know, every day. Um, but I think I, there's certainly a, a reference for me, which is that, um, and, and I'm not just saying this because I'm talking to you guys, KPMG, but I think that having a quality team around you in terms of executing the transaction, you know, is absolute key so legal finance um you know and, and sort of uh, deal advisory the sort of the three main areas for me um you know we we 
in the first transaction I did, I worked with a bespoke advisory firm in the technology space that, that worked out well. When I came to look for uh, Poor Pure, um, you know, it, because it was consumer sort of consumer retail, ultimately consumer product type area, um, I, I looked towards um, finding another you know quality advisor experience in the space, and that's where I came up with KPMG. And and again, you know, that 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 was a that was a I think a, a, a fantastic partnership um, in terms of. The, say legal i use the same legal firm for for, for all of the transactions um i've got a great reputation uh, a great relationship with uh uh with charles and hamlin's and um you know they're a they're a fantastic partner as well to have alongside so you know i think um i think that's it really is there's there's if you're going to try and you know, do a substantial liquidity event sale of a business um then you you need to surround yourself with people who are way better at that actual process than you are you know as an entrepreneur you can you know found and start businesses you can take people on a journey you can sell a product sell a dream that's great but when it comes to um uh, selling a business and the and the, the process of dealing with much larger entities that's certainly no area of expertise for me so um i, I think that would be uh, a valuable takeaway for people uh uh, thinking about and, and engaging in a in a in a disposal or sale process. Thanks, Dan. Thanks. I think we'll take that, won't we, Rob? We'll take that. It's also uh, a pretty good sector to be part of when it comes to deal celebrations as well. Uh, I would add on a personal note. So, um, yeah, we we enjoyed all aspects of the transaction, and the deal team definitely enjoyed the the completion celebrations. <sighs> So just moving into, you know, some quick fire questions just around things like celebrations. How did you celebrate, Dan? Well, I'd, um, during the transaction, we had the birth of our, of our um, uh, youngest, youngest daughter. So we were managing a, a brand new baby into the world, um, uh, the, the sale of Forpure and everything else that was going on. So actually, when the, when the transaction completed, it was, it was good just to have a little bit less on our plate and a bit of time for our, uh, myself and my wife just to... Um, uh, just to sort of have some time at home and calm down. So I, I, I do think it's really important to celebrate success, to celebrate milestones um, and to remember them. But I think in this case, we we, uh, we remembered them by having, you know, opportunity to sit down for once in a, in a, in a long time. Great. You maybe had one beer at some point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, the, that's the thing with the APMG deal team. You could barely keep away from beer. You know, they're, they're big, <laughs> big, big, in certain points, they're bigger drinkers than our brewers were. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> but there we go. Yeah. It's all part and, of the um, diligence, I think. All part it's of part of the diligence. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the first thing you bought, Dan? Um, so, yeah, I mean, on the first transaction, we were lucky enough to um, to be able to uh, pay for a mortgage, which felt like a great milestone when I was when I was sort of younger. Um, in terms of um, uh, for pure, well, I've always had an aspiration to be pilot and to fly. So pretty much when um, when that transaction happened, I bought an airplane and signed to learn to fly. And I'm now a yeah, I'm now I'm now a pilot and. As is my wife, and um, you know we enjoy we enjoy flying around when uh, lockdowns allow. Wow! And your wife is a pilot as well. That's amazing. Yeah, she qualified uh, a few months ago, so um, I did. Um, I, I learned first, and uh, 
and and she looked after the kids and then uh then she went off and learned and i had my my time with the children so uh yeah and we can both fly which is great so you know it's it's funny when um uh there's a, there's a few great french airports which have restaurants right on right on the airport you know michelin star restaurant so you could fly there so i'll fly there we can have a great lunch have a bit of wine she can fly back you know that kind of the usual sort of who's who's going to drive conversation so i think it's important to have two pilots in the family <laughs> good idea <laughs> so i mean you've done two deals and it's quite interesting isn't it to think about what motivates you now yeah i i I'm, i've always been um uh driven and and motivated by by doing things that are that are, that are hard uh rather than doing things that are easy I, I i like to have the opportunity to disrupt and challenge um a sector or to um or to do something that someone you know tells me isn't possible or or, or can't be done that, that that really is something that that that, that excites me um right now um i'm, I'm involved in a couple of a small challenger brands i'm providing them with sort of assistance from the sideline and a little bit of investment um but i do have aspirations to build something again uh, of my own in the near future i look forward to that and I'm, I'm just uh you know honing down on the right opportunity the the sort of thrill and excitement of building something um from the ground up using your own skills and to you know, going there and, and, and as I said, disrupt and challenge is, uh, is extremely rewarding. And is that part of the move to the US? Then? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, we're, 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 we're going to move to, we're going to move to the US and um, I think uh, over to the West coast and, and I think there's some, some great opportunities there as, as we sort of said earlier on in the discussion, um, a number of trends do start there. So it's going to be really interesting to, um, to, I get, I guess, get, sort of one step further down the chair or closer to the start of the chain and be able to look at originating uh, some concepts rather than trying to um, uh, sort of uh, replicate what's happened in other markets. So that's, uh, I think that's, it's an exciting challenge. There's going to be a lot of learning to do there, but uh, that's, yeah, that's part of the plan. So there's certain sectors we should be looking out for. Uh, that, that there's a whole range of things. I mean, you know, having pivoted from technology through into um, you know, food and beer, or beer uh, is you know is, is quite a change. So I'm I'm open to anything really, but uh, I, I do have a couple of ideas. But maybe it's on for the next uh, next time we speak. Yeah, definitely. We'll have to introduce you to our US guys at some point. I'm sure. <laughs> so just to kind of round everything up, what what's your advice to future sellers? You know, particularly in this current environment. Yeah, I, I think it's actually um, I've got one really clear piece of advice, which is to uh, always maintain a focus on your own business and its growth and health and success, because it's very easy to get distracted and drawn into a sale process, which may or may not actually happen. And ultimately, you're either going to end up with the business carrying on as it, as it is now. And of course, you, you're going to want that in the best health as possible. Or if you do do a sale, there's undoubtedly going to be um, a period of performance-based um, compensation that comes as a result of a deal. And you need to make sure that the business can continue to execute against the plan which you set out. So that organic growth in the medium, in the short and medium term, absolutely essential to keep your focus all over. I mean, if you... It, it, yeah, it's, it's just an essential. It's just an essential, essential part. Not to get distracted. Not to get uh, 
putting all your energy into a deal process when actually your business still needs you. Yeah, good good advice. And Rob, just any key takeaways from you? I mean, I think Dan's advice is spot on. You know, getting distracted is the worst thing that can happen. And we we, you know, as part of our job, we try to take away as much workload through transactions as possible so that founders and owners of businesses can focus on the day job. There is nothing worse than the performance starting to dip mid-transactions just when you're trying to persuade potential investors that this is the best business they've ever seen and that performance upward performance is guaranteed. So, um, you know, without kind of going against Dan's advice, you know, the we, we, as well as focusing on the day job and, you know, harboring dreams of, of capital events, you know, only in the evening privately to yourself, if you like, so you don't get distracted. I think, um, you know, I, I, I think meeting up with professionals ahead of time to plan and make sure that you've got your house in order um, is, is, you know, is, is a sensible thing to do. I think in the case of Four Pure Dan, you know, clearly already had um, a lot of experience of capital events, of transactions. And when we arrived, um, you know, the house was in order. You know, Dan had a, built a great team. He had good financial systems, good financial information. He had a clear vision and a clear plan for the business. And, um, you know, Dan's previous advice of, of leaving more upside for the next person, you know, he timed that well. So, um, you know, I, I would say if you've not been through a capital event before, you know, do engage with advisors relatively early just to check in with them to see if there's anything else that you should be thinking of other than just focusing on the, the sort of day-to-day -day organic growth of the business. But, um, you know, I would completely agree with Dan's advice. Focus on the day job, focus on organic growth, try not to get distracted. I also think that's a really good point, actually, Rob, because when we started, you know, Four Pure was sold at about five years uh, from inception, but we started to talk to advisors, you know, towards the end of uh, the second year into the th into the third year, and the business at that point was extremely small but had a great trajectory, right. and of course you, you do get concerned, thinking, well, you know, no no sort of big advisor is going to want to talk to me when I'm when I'm not, you know, I I'm not. The, you know, the, I've not grown to the size that I want to be, you know, I, I feel like I need to wait, wait, wait. But actually, you know, having those coffees, those introductory chats, starting to work out who you can, um, who you can work with and developing a relationship over, you know, uh, over a couple of years till finally you're into a deal process is, is time well spent. Um, so you don't always, you don't have to wait until you think, right, I'm now at the, you know, whatever turnover, profitability, market mm. share that you want to be to then start talking to advisors. You know, share your dream early on, take them on the journey and find out who you'd like to work with. Great. Thanks, Dan. So consult early is, is, the, is the advice that we need to take away from this. Um, that's really been really enlightening both. I think that's all we've got time for today. So please do like, share, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. We've got a great lineup of deals to feature over the upcoming months. See you soon.